every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning from me, Peter Lewis. Welcome to Money Talk at the start of a brand new week on Monday, the 13th of November. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, President Joe Biden and President Xi Jinping will meet this week in San Francisco. The encounter on the 15th of November will be only their second face-to-face meeting during the Biden presidency. China's foreign ministry said President Xi will visit the United States from November the 14th to the 17th and will also attend the APEC summit in San Francisco. U.S. officials said topics will be wide-ranging with the Israel-Hamas war, Taiwan, war in Ukraine and election interference to be discussed. However, U.S. officials warned that this is not the relationship of five or ten years ago and we're not talking about a long list of outcomes or deliverables. Moody's Investors Service has cut the U.S.'s credit outlook to negative from stable, warning of a decline in the creditworthiness of the world's largest economy and political polarization. The credit rating agency said in a note on Friday afternoon that without effective fiscal policy measures to reduce government spending or increase revenues, it expects that the U.S. fiscal deficits will remain very large, significantly weakening debt affordability. U.S. consumer sentiment has fallen to a six-month low. The University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index fell to 60.4 in November compared to 63.8 in October. Meanwhile, inflation expectations for the year ahead increased for a second month to 4.4%, reaching the highest since April, and expectations for the five-year outlook also rose to 3.2%. That's the highest level since March 2011. The European Central Bank will not begin cutting rates for at least the next couple of quarters, its President Christine Lagarde has said. Ms Lagarde told a conference on Friday that Eurozone inflation would come down to its 2% target if interest rates were kept at their current levels for long enough. Ms Lagarde also, also warned that Eurozone inflation could still rebound from its recent two-year low, especially if there's another supply shock from the energy sector. On today's programme, I'm joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Sam Favre, the CEO of Mandarin Capital, and providing a view from mainland China, will be Brock Silvers, CIO at Kyan Capital. If you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. U.S. stocks continued their November rally last week following three months of losses thanks to a surge in tech giants. The S&P 500 hit a seven-week high Friday, rising above its key 4,400 mark and the 100-day moving average seen as a bullish development. The benchmark index finished 1.6% higher at 4,415 for a weekly gain of 1.3%. The Nasdaq Composite chalked up its biggest one-day rise in almost six months. The tech-heavy index closed 2.1% higher on Friday at 13,798 and added 2.4% over the past five sessions. The Dow advanced 391 points, or 1.2%, to close at 34,283. And for the week, it was up 0.7%. Wall Street's so-called fear gauge, the VIX, closed at its lowest level since September, just above 14 as volatility receded. And the magnificent seven stocks are up for 10 out of the last 11 days, adding 1.3 trillion US dollars in market cap during that time to the highest since the July peaks. The US Treasury market was shut on Friday for a federal holiday. Over the week, Treasuries were mixed with the long end outperforming. The 30-year yield was down one basis point on the week at 4.76%. The rest of the curve was higher, led by the shortest end. The 10-year yield was up 7 basis points at 4.65%. The 2-year yield rose 22 basis points over the five sessions, pushing back above 5% to 5.07%. And that was the biggest weekly yield rise since May. The dollar index was little changed Friday for the week. The yen was 1.4% lower at 151.5 against the dollar. The Chinese yuan was down 0.2% in offshore markets at 7.2891 renminbi per dollar. Gold fell for the second week in a row, tumbling almost 3% last week, ending at $1,937 an ounce. Brent crude settled 1.8% higher at $81.43 a barrel on Friday, but the price of oil declined 4.1% over the past five sessions. 
Bitcoin surged to 18-month highs. Over the week, Bitcoin was up 6.6% at just above $37,000, and Ethereum's 12% rally was its best week since April. Hong Kong stocks, though, fell by the most in three weeks on Friday. The Hang Seng Index tumbled 308 points, or 1.8%, to 17,203, taking the week's losses to 2.6%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite Index retreated half a percent to 3,039. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open about 45 points higher. That's a third of a percent, starting the day around 17,250, according to futures markets. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Let's welcome our Monday morning guests. We have with us Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management. Morning to you, Alex. Hi, morning, Peter. And also with us Samuel Favre, Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Morning, Sam. Morning, Peter. So the famous Biden-Xi uh, Jinping meeting is going to happen in California this week. The uh, two senior administration officials said Friday. The encounter will take place on the 15th of November. It's going to be only their second face-to-face meeting during the Biden presidency. China's Foreign Ministry and President Xi Jinping will visit the United States from November the 14th to the 17th and is going to attend the Apex Summit in San Francisco. U.S. officials said topics will include the Israel-Hamas war, Taiwan war in Ukraine and election interference to be discussed. But U.S. officials warned that this is not the same relationship as five or ten years ago and not to expect a long list of deliverables or outcomes. And U.S. media outlets are also reporting that President Xi will attend a private dinner with U.S. business executives in San Francisco after his meeting with Mr. Biden. Hundreds of people are expected to attend, including chief executive officers of major U.S. companies. Um, Alex, we've been waiting for this meeting to be confirmed. It looks like it's going to take place uh, the middle of this week. Is it of uh, importance to investors and the markets? I think uh, probably not much. Uh, people probably would still expect the relations to remain more or less the same. I think, uh, as you mentioned, the topics actually are not that important. Like um, the, it's mainly on geopolitical side. Uh, I think on the, on the economic side, I think people wouldn't expect much on uh, the improvement of the relationship between the two countries. Probably the U.S. was trying to still limit the technical development of uh, China products. So I think uh, we should not expect too much. So we, we shouldn't expect any sort of lifting of sanctions or easing of restrictions that have been imposed by the U.S. on China, which is one of the things they want, of course. Yeah, I think uh, that if that happened, that would be really a big surprise to the market. But I don't think uh, that would happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think it's a completely different agenda between Biden and Xi. I think uh, Biden wants to ride the current uh, geopol- geopolitical momentum he's on with the uh, Gaza crisis, where Xi, obviously, and the meeting with the uh, Business, business um, people is clearly is trying to get uh, the economy back on track and really focusing on domestic issues. So I wouldn't expect too much from this meeting. I mean, the trust has been broken. It's going to take years and probably change at some point of uh, of people for this trust to be restored. Mm. Will it will it help calm foreign investors at least that the meet, that they're talking anyway, and uh, which is an improvement on where we are earlier in the year after after the the spy balloon was shot down. They they weren't even talking to each other. I think it's uh, definitely good news that people start talking again, but the issues that uh, the two economies are facing are really long-term issues like, you know, the uh, decoupling, whatever they want to call it. There are some momentum of people moving out of China for obvious reasons of uh, supply chain de-risking, and that's not going to stop because two people meet, and that's, you know, that's long-term rebalancing within the region when you have other economies starting to improve. So expect the same momentum to keep on for, for the medium term at least. Do you think, Alex, though, that this is a key... I mean, when you think about what Xi wants and what Biden wants from this meeting, obviously, as Sam says, different things, but I presume one of the things that President Xi wants is he wants to calm uh, foreign investors and try and lure them back into the markets. Um, but I think uh, recent development actually is not that well. I think uh, last week uh, we underperformed on uh, the news from Ping'an and also earlier from Wanki. So I think uh, people are still quite worried about um, the um, the property market in in the China and that uh, the impact may spread out to other sectors. And also I think uh, people are worried about um, some type of uh, some kind of a CS type rescue uh, needed in China. So probably that would uh, spread into 
the burdens of uh, many healthy uh, uh, enterprises. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, that probably uh, would uh, would dampen the in investor in confidence right now. Yeah. You mentioned Vanky. I mean, they they sort of it was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? They seem to get the support of their local government, which Evergrande and Country Garden have never got um, at all. Is this a sign that China's drawing a line now, or trying to draw a line under this? I think the problem is that uh, uh, Vanky probably would be okay in the short term, but uh, the cash flow probably was still deteriorate and the mm. property market sales actually would be very sluggish right now and probably for a while and I think uh, that would create cash flow problems for even company, uh, enterprises like Wanky. So I think uh, people are still worried about the judgment day of uh, of public collapse of uh, one or two big, big names in China and probably that would uh, spread out the um, impact. Mm. Sam, one of the significant things that's happened is foreign direct investments. Uh, into China has turned negative for the first time since they started keeping records on this back in 1998. It does seem that um, th this exodus is, is turning into a bit of a flood of, of, of money leaving. People are just not reinvesting profits in China, not wanting to put uh, new money in. Well, there's a double factor. The, the domestic uh, market is not profitable at the moment, so why should people stay there? And then the supply, you know, is uh, the supply chain rebalancing is ongoing. And despite, uh, you know, trying to reassure investors, there's a difference between what they're saying, what they're doing. They're tightening regulation on a lot of sectors and it's still ongoing. So can understand why people are very cautious. And, you know, there's money to make elsewhere. So capital is very, very uh, fluid and people moving their money around where it's most profitable. Mm. And I suppose these, these executives, business executives who sort of suddenly disappear on trips to the mainland, that doesn't help foreign investors uh, about sort of moving money to China. Well, yeah, plus, as I said, the tightening the financial sectors, the internet crackdown. I mean, they have a lot of things to, um, you know, to, to try to mend. And uh, so far, the facts don't give them, uh, give, them the, give, the, give them right. So they really have to do something. And again, I don't think you can regain the trust after what happened, uh, except if you would start changing some key people. And people think, well, there is a genuine change. And... They will put the economy in front of the ideology, which I don't think at the moment is the case. So is there anything that President Xi could say at the APEC summit or in this meeting with President Biden that would um, change foreign investors' sort of viewpoints of it? Or is it just going to be a step too far? That's a good question. I think, uh, I think at this stage, it can only be one small step. Uh, it can try to initiate the, uh, the momentum, but that's not going to be a decisive factor. I mean, we need to start clear implementation of some liberalization, again, the sector where people feel confident if they go into the market, you know, they're going to be able to make money and keep their money. Mm. And they're going to be able to, to follow and implement some plans without some ongoing intervention by the government, because that's the big problem. You start something, suddenly things turn around, and you have to shift completely your policy or your investment, and then you're left, uh, you're left hanging. And I think that has proven the case for the last uh, mm. 10 years, and people now are very wary of this. So that it's not going to just be one single thing that's going to change this. There's going to be, have to be a whole series of, of measures and concrete changes before it sounds like foreign investors are, are going to be convinced to, to move back. Yeah, I think uh, this work difficult. And as I said, I think uh, the private enterprises would be very important, but the confidence actually need to be uh, restored. So I don't think uh, right now uh, we have anything to restore the confidence in that sector right now. So mm. uh, it's quite difficult. Yeah. What about the removal of some of the tariffs that, that Trump put on? I mean, some of them, they're, they're coming up for expiry anyway. So, um, you know, would that uh, help things if some of them were some of them were removed? Because they haven't really helped very much the US, have they? I think that will only help uh, certain sectors. It will not help the overall investment sentiment because, um, like I've said, uh, like uh, Sam pointed out, that uh, people need to have um, confidence in the long term to put their money in China because uh, they are not investing for just uh, uh, short-term trading. So they are they need something which is uh, more visible in the long term. So mm. lifting of the tariff probably would help certain manufacturing sectors which are in place already. So I think uh, it will not help much. Do you, do you think um, Beijing, China has just accepted now that these tariffs, these technology curbs, they're going to be a way of life? They're not going to go away, clearly. Um, and they've just got to get used to them and, and try and make their own, sort of build up their own manufacturing capabilities in, in the technology sector in particular? Yeah, of course. You can see Huawei is uh, doing mm. already. So I think uh, they accept the fact that, that they will not have uh, too much improvement on that side. So they will live with that and try to make uh, some new ways to, to, to get away with that.
Mm. Sam, I mean, President Biden has made a, a big thing about this meeting, that, that they must talk, they must have these communication channels open. But, but what does he want uh, from, from the meeting? What, what, what's to gain for him? I think for him it's just the, uh, you know, the image of uh, someone who's gained international prominence again on the international front where you know, for the Ukraine war they were like begging China to intervene uh, with Russia. So suddenly he's back on the center stage on the geopolitical front. So I think that was his gain. I think in terms of expectations of changes, I think he doesn't expect anything and I don't think he wants to do anything because you've got elections coming out and I think the last thing he really wants to show is that he's weak on China. Mm -hmm. So don't expect too much uh, from the U.S. on that front, especially if he's supposed to, uh, to face Trump again in the next election. Well, that's the big elephant in the room, isn't it, in the U.S.-China relationship. The next election, what, what if President Trump wins? I mean, does that just change the, the whole sort of relationship? Well, that could be a big change for the U.S. itself. So and the world. Exactly. So I think uh, he will certainly continue what he's done before and probably hit even harder. So uh, that, can be, uh, that can be positive for China. So, yeah, so I just said that's definitely Biden will not go soft on China at this stage. Mm, and Trump's talking about uh, basically a general tariff of 15% on every single import from every, anywhere in the world on, on, on goods coming into the U.S., well, yeah, but it's going to collapse the U.S. economy as well, so mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's another issue. Uh, but, you know, tariffs, are, and I agree with Alex, uh, they always get bypassed, and historically, whenever you put blockage, there's technological innovation. So if you keep those tariffs long enough, you'll become a loser because someone will innovate and suddenly yeah. uh, surpass you. Mm. So, but it's a big uncertainty, isn't it? Because you was, it's not inconceivable that Trump could win. It's um, you know you look at the polls. Um, you know this is presumably something that the world business has got to prepare for. Absolutely, it's a massive risk, and uh, it's it's not only plausible. It's uh, there's a very good chance he might actually do it again because well, no one expecting the first time now. People uh, you know think it's a real possibility and. Uh, it could be a big shock again for another four years. Mm. There doesn't seem to be an awful lot of upside from this meeting for, for Joe Biden. There's not really anything concrete that's going to come out of this that's, that's going to help him other than he can say we're still talking. I think for him it's just image management. He's really uh, you know, taking center stage again and say, well, look, America is the, pol is the uh, police again in the world. We're managing, uh, we're managing the external relationship. China is behind. And uh, that's what he's gaining of it. So, but in terms of uh, domestic policy and domestic politics, I don't think it really, it really matters that much. For U.S. people, it's always about the uh, internal and the, the economy. So, but for the rest of the world, yeah, it certainly shows that he's uh, back into the leader in the leader leader seat. Alex, for President Xi Jinping, is, is this an opportunity for him to try and boost his domestic popularity? Because it has suffered, hasn't it, because of the, the lockdowns and, and what's happened to the economy overall. It seems to have dented his, his image a little bit. Is that something that he's going to be concerned about and could do something about here? I think uh, he will not be too concerned because uh, actually it's because of the system. So he mm. more or less will remain the leader of China for a while. And then, but I think uh, of course uh, right now the problem is in, in the economy. So uh, probably image actually will not help. I think uh, they, they need to do some things to to restore the the the, the, the economy. So I think uh, this will not help much actually. Well, if we, we had some data, some important data out uh, last week, first of all. Uh, the inflation data, China's consumer prices dropped by 0.2% year-on-year in October after a, flat, after a flat reading in September. That was worse than what economists had been forecasting. They were looking at 0.1% um, fall. How significant is this slide um, back into deflation? So I think they would deter uh, consumer spending, of course, but you can always explain the, the pork price in China. So that actually helped to accelerate the deflation. But uh, anyway, I think uh, that would actually uh, deter some spending because if you are in, in deflation, then you can you know that you can deter your spending. So um, I think... Uh, Overall, the, 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 the inflation actually is very difficult to pick up because the natural deflation response in China is very great because um, the uh, competition in China actually is uh, very severe in many sectors and also China uh, brands actually usually use the uh, price reduction to attract uh, consumers and also the, the development of e-commerce actually is very, very, very strong in China so that also helped to, to contain inflation. So anyway, I think uh, it is quite difficult to come out uh, to get inflation in China. This is going to be a big issue for exporters, isn't it? Because exports to China, they, they've really got not only now the, the, the weak domestic demand, they've got this huge sort of price competitiveness that you're 
that you're mentioning here with you know they're having to face companies that are really just slashing their prices in in a whole range of sectors yeah so uh for exporters i think uh, they need to do some branding because uh in china uh, uh you are facing a lot of competitions from uh, from newcomers uh, like in the ev sectors actually mm. tax i think uh, is facing very strong competition from the local brands and i think uh, even in the tv sectors and, and a lot of things actually it's very difficult to exporters to come into china right now but uh, for some luxurious luxurious item or for some quality items or, or like medicine i think they still can maintain an edge over chinese comp- manufacturers but i think uh, china actually has some strong brands in 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 the lower end side of the market so i think they probably may may become more dominant in the world in the future what about southeast asia i mean obviously that's been a big region that's been exporting uh to to china are are they in a better position than the rest of the world or are they um they're, they're suffering as well I think uh, in, if you want to export into China, probably uh, we are talking more, more about natural resources. So mm. I think uh, that probably may not be affected by the factors we mentioned. Yeah. But the, the yuan's not helping either, is it? It's what a 16-year low almost now against the dollar. So you, I suppose you've got to cut your prices just to, to keep your market share. Yeah, of course. I think yuan probably would still depreciate slowly. So I think uh, that would be another factor, yeah. Sam, what, what do you make of this? I mean, the, we, we know that the pork price has had a big impact on this, but nevertheless, it's not just that, is it, uh, that's, that's behind this? I think it's a massive issue because um, there are deflationary pressure, and that's obviously linked between a massive imbalance between supply and demand, and the demand is very weak. There is oversupply in a lot of sectors, and the problem is this adjustment is always very slow, and the only thing they have at the moment is monetary or fiscal policy, which is more debt. But more debt within a deflationary environment is very dangerous because mm-hmm. you have a problem having to pay back that debt. So you have to stop this spiral very quickly or you might end up into a credit crisis knowing that already you have some sectors which are under credit, uh, credit stress. So they have, to put a, they have to act fairly quickly before it gets... Um, it gets worse, knowing there are medium-term and long-term deflationary, pro- deflationary forces in China just because of the workforce and the fact that, you know, you have the consumption and people will be retiring. So you have this demand eventually which will soften and you have the workforce coming, uh, coming off. So they really have to work, I think, quite hard to adjust that within the next two years or you could have something serious uh, and whining there. Because mm, this is not the deflation that we saw in Japan, is it? I mean, prices, what's happening is prices are, are sort of softening, but it's not like where you've got wages being cut, where you've got um, the, the, the sort of devastation that, that real deflation can cause to the economy. Well, not yet, anyway. Not yet. That's the problem, is uh, what is going to happen. And the adjustment is different because in China you've got also this buffer of migrant workers where they're taking the brunt of the, uh, you know, of the fall when they're not hired. Obviously, you know, mm. these guys, these guys first not being paid. So yeah, the average salary may not be cut, but then you may have a lot of people suddenly not making any money. So on average, it's exactly the same. So I think you will have to see if they, not, nothing, ha- nothing is done within the next six, six months to one year. They will start to see this kind of adjustment, which is going to happen. And what sort of things should be done? Well, they have to stimulate new sectors, which they partially do. They have to rebalance and take on the bad debt on some of these stuff, uh, you know, and start restructuring some of the bad assets and recognize those bad assets, mm-hmm. like especially in the real estate sector, and then start stimulate domestic consumption and uh, part of the economy where they've got an edge, like Alex mentioned, EV. And there's a lot of sectors where China is actually the leader. They need to push for this one instead of relying on, you know, old recipes where you have all, um, of investment like fixed assets, uh, construction, and this type of all, um, all in, old investment they've been relying on for the last 20 years. But they're, they're, they're going to do more investment, this time in the manufacturing sector. But, but of course, that doesn't mean to say it's going to be good investment, does it? That's been the problem in other sectors. Well, the problem if you're investing in a sector where you've got already oversupply, mm. then you're creating more supply and you, you're, re, you know, you're refueling the deflationary cycle. So that's something they have to manage carefully. But the problem is they've... I don't think they really know how to, to, to move forward at this stage because they've been looking what has been working in the past and then they, they need to realise, well, it's not working now, so they have to do something else. So do, do we need for the property sector maybe the equivalent of a bad bank that's going to take on some of the loans and try and clean up some of the companies and then a lot of others are just going to have to be left uh, to, to go bankrupt? 
Yeah, I think uh, probably we may see some type of like CS case in mm. China. So a massive write down, and also a massive dilution. Probably, I think uh, that that probably would happen to to, mm. to have the case to to get the the sector to restart again. Because someone's got to take these losses, haven't they? There's no way around the fact that those losses are there. They're not going to go away. They can't ignore them. Someone has got to bear these losses. Now, of course, uh, I think uh, if you look at the case in CS, uh, then probably the original bank bondholders and also the shareholders. So mm. I think um, many of them actually are already sitting as a huge, huge loss already. So I think they probably, at some point, they need to realize that that's yeah. that the loss. Yeah. Yeah. What about then as uh, another solution? Interest rate cuts, triple R cuts. Do you see that on the cards? Yeah, I think uh, probably they would do that again. Uh, but but because of the the weakness in the yuan, I think they would be probably um, a little bit cautious on that. Mm, they're struggling really hard, aren't they, to stop the yuan from sliding at the moment? I mean, if, in effect, they've 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 pegged the, the yuan to the US dollar at uh, at one at uh, seven twenty. They they won't allow any volatility around that whatsoever at the moment. Well, I think uh, they manage that quite 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 good actually. In my view, uh, the depreciation is very slow. And I think uh, not much spec- speculation in the market, so I think uh, it's quite okay. I think uh, they 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 would try to make the depreciation slow enough, so not to create any shock. But I think the trend is uh, is down for one. I think uh, probably we may see it to deter uh, the depreciation further by another four to five percent next year. But uh, the pace of the depreciation will be very slow. Is this disinflation that we're seeing in, in China? I mean, I, I prefer to call it maybe disinflation rather than deflation. But is that going to get exported to other parts of the world and then put downward pressure on inflation in, in Western economies? Yeah, that's uh, for sure. Uh, the uh, Chinese uh, price uh, stability has been one of the factors of low inflation for the, for the last 20 years. And it's certainly, given the size of the Chinese economy, it will have an impact. So if you have a decline, declining yuan and you have a deflation over there, obviously it's putting prices there, pressing pressure for, for exports and imports are otherwise uh, down. So yeah, it will be exported. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, if you look at uh, Xi'an and, and PDD, I think uh, they probably would be the, 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 the channel of the, the export of this inflation. Yeah. Okay, so that's going to be something that policymakers overseas are going to have to start uh, thinking about. The, the Fed was speaking, well, Jerome Powell was speaking last week. He was basically saying um, that he wasn't particularly confident that they've ch- achieved um, a restrictive enough stance to bring inflation down to 2% over time, although the bond markets seem to be pretty euphoric that um, rates, aren't, uh, rates aren't going to go up anymore. Um, what do you think? What, what's Jerome Powell trying to do here? I think uh, uh, the the rate would stay high for longer. Uh, probably uh, the right now is data dependent. So uh, we probably I think uh, we are expecting a, a, a um, recessions to come finally. Even though we have a uh, very good um, rebound in the stock market, I think uh, this is all, only just a tad lag uh, rally. This is not uh, a across the board uh, uh, strength in the market. If you look at the Russell 2000, actually, it's uh, declined quite a lot last week. Mm-hmm. So. Um, we are talking about a uh, upcoming recession, so I think the power probably will try to manage uh, both uh, the economic strength and also the inflation. So uh, they, uh, the inf- I think this rate will stay high, uh, but uh, it would be very data dependent to to go further higher. But I think the risk would be uh, uh, higher rates instead of lower rates. Mm. And it's the same in Europe, isn't it? I mean, the, the rates aren't going to be cut there um, either, if you listen to Christine Lagarde anyway, certainly not for the next couple of quarters. Yeah, I think uh, the, the the real risk uh, would be the economy side. If finally, if the recessions come and worse than expected, I think uh, that probably would bring down inflation, but I don't think that, that would be the case they would like. Sam, do you see a recession coming? Um, I think at the moment we're more for the U.S. in a soft uh, landing case scenario. Now, Europe, I think, is a, it's not a very good state. So if things slow down a bit more quickly, I think you could see some uh, a recession out of Europe. So in terms of adjustments, um, I think if you had to cut rates, the first one I think would probably be the um, Europe before the U.S., given the, rely- the resilience of the uh, U.S. domestic market, especially from the, uh, from the workforce. That's what I'm seeing for the next uh, year. But at the moment, it's fairly well managed. I mean, Powell has been extremely good by managing the yield curve just by talking and doing nothing. So he's been continuing doing this. And I think he's done done a very good job. But um, the, the risk is always, well, we're going to see some CPI data uh, this week out of the US, tomorrow, in fact, and then the PPI data on Wednesday. 
there's so much that could suddenly send it spiking back upwards again at the moment. Yeah, but CPI is also uh, backward looking, so I think he'll be looking at other stuff. I think at the moment there, I mean, except if we have a real shock uh, up um, or down, which, you know, we, if we're within the natural volatility of the numbers, I don't expect it to be really, uh, really that, uh, that surprising. Mm. But uh, at the moment, I don't really see where the source of inflation would come from. We don't have any external shock. We have China falling into deflation, which that definitely will help. So the only place where I think you could see uh, you could see some pressure is from the um, from the worker fr- from the from the pay from the domestic uh, 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 wages. Mm. So let's see that. But again, I think there's a slowdown there. If you look at that University of Michigan survey, though, um, people's expectations of inflation are, are increasing, and the five-year one, the highest since I think it was 2011. So there's always a a risk that these ex- expectations could get embedded, isn't there? At the same time, I think people have been late to recognize inflation. Uh, they're always late to recognize the change. So uh, I think they may have been late on uh, on that way. But yeah, that's a possibility that... Uh, but whether the people can actually pass through the, the price increase now, I'm not, not that sure. People are a lot more price conscious as well. So, mm. um, Alex, how significant is this uh, outlook uh, cut on, uh, on the US by Moody's? They've cut the credit outlook to negative from stable. They're warning that a decline in the creditworthiness of the US economy and also political polarization. Is this a, a significant event? I think uh, right now the market did not react much. Uh, if you look at the initial reaction, actually it's well mild. Uh, I think uh, probably people already expect that the U.S. Uh, government is in a messy financial state, and and mm. the and the and the, and the long bond actually would uh, would still stay weak, and people were still worry about the. Um, the repayment capability and and the uh, issuance of new bonds, I think, uh, probably will still get a very cold reception. So I think uh, uh, this is a risk that uh, we probably may still see the weakness in the long end of the bond market, and that I think uh, probably may bring down something. So right now, that's why I think uh, people are not too enthusiastic towards the um, the small caps in China, in, in US right now mm. because uh, they are more macro related. I think. Do you worry about the lack of breadth here? The S&P's got gains of about 15%, but if you take the top seven stocks away, it's basically flat on the year. Yeah, I think, uh, but this this probably is the rational choice of an investor, because they think uh, even after some cycles, those big names actually will still uh, be... Uh, gaining market shares and probably have a higher EPS. So I think uh, they, they 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 are look for um, cycles right now. So they they are they they are more willing to stick with the big names, uh, and the black I think uh, would remain weak. So uh, we probably may still be seeing a uh, very narrow base uh, uh, strength in the U.S. market. Mm. Sam, what do you think? I mean, people are very bullish at the moment on the US market. If you look at the options market, for example, uh, they're really plowing into the idea of a year-end rally. But when you get these markets, you know, you look back in history and you see these very narrow markets with just a small handful of stocks holding things up, it never ends up well. Well, I think uh, in terms of pricing, those markets are extremely expensive compared to, um, to the interest rates. And I think what we're seeing is really a bear market rally because we had that uh, extended low, extended consol- well, extended drop for three months and now we're seeing a bounce. Now whether it's going to last for another month, month and a half, I'm not sure, but I think the trend, uh, especially if we start seeing a soft landing and a decrease in earnings, is definitely down because uh, the cost of holding equity versus debt at the moment is not necessarily that compelling, I have to say. Mm. Alex, what about the local market here? Uh, fell the most in three weeks on Friday, obviously not helped by earnings from SMIC, but there always seems to be something, doesn't there? It, it just mm. can't catch a break at the moment, the Hang Seng. I think uh, this time is a ping on tricker uh, because um, uh, people worry about uh, the call for those uh, state-owned purposes or, or, or uh, to, to rescue those uh, travel companies. So even though uh, we have seen the case in HSBC uh, West, uh, taking up uh, the U.S. part of uh, the Silicon Valley banks or, or, or UBS taking up uh, CS, I think uh, people are still worried about the Chinese case. And probably I think uh, this worry will still be uh, around for quite some time. And that, I think, uh, would spread the fear into those uh, well-managed companies because uh, they are sitting, probably they are sitting on healthy cash. And so the state may uh, call them to, 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 to do something. 
So I think uh, this is the worry right now. And this worry, I think, uh, is probably will stay for a while because uh, Ping On actually has denied already in official uh, announcement, but the people still uh, don't buy in. So I think uh, this worry actually is the latest bearish factor in the, in the market. And, and I think uh, that probably would continue to pressure the market because if you look at the price action last week, uh, Ping On actually just failed to stage any significant rebound from the low. So I think uh, this uh, is a new bearish factor for the local market. Mm. And when Beijing tells you to, to take on other companies and their assets, you can't really say no, can you? Uh, I think uh, it depends. Uh, they can still say uh, you, you need, we need a very massive uh, dilution from the original shareholders and also a massive haircut and so to make the price uh, more reasonable. I think uh, this all depends on pricing, but I think uh, people is worried because uh, Ping On is not like uh, UBS taking up ECS because this is an uh, insurer taking up properties. Mm-hmm. You are in a difficult, different sectors and also the sector is very difficult to run right now even if you have uh, less burden, this is still not a good business. So I think uh, people are worried about that kind of things. So uh, this is a uh, very big concern for the market right now. Sam, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, this is Beijing interfering again, isn't it, really, with, uh, with the workings of the capital markets. If, if Ping An wanted to buy um, a property company, it could do it, but clearly it doesn't want to. Well, I think that's the biggest problems of those markets and illustrates two issues, structural issues of uh, why these, under, these markets are continuously underperforming. One is the priority is not to shareholder value, and that's the biggest issue, and you see Alan Ping And the second thing is also there is no straightforward um, restructuring legal mechanism in China, which prevents you know, to sort these issues very quickly. You don't have a chapter 11 or chapter 7. So you have those issues which, is, which are recurring, and people don't know how it's going to be sorted. There's always intervention. So I think given what's going on, and we're in a cycle when you need to have restructuring because of non-performing assets, you may be, li- you know, you may be dragging like this for the next three to five years. Okay, well, thank you for your thoughts there. You heard this, Sam Favre, who's Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Alex Wong, Director at Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. I'm joined now by Brock Silvers, who is Chief Investment Officer at Kyan Capital. Morning, Brock. Good morning. So finally, it looks like Joe Biden and Xi Jinping are going to meet in San Francisco on the sidelines of the uh, the Apex Summit. China's Foreign Ministry saying President Xi will uh, attend from the November the 14th to the ne- November the 17th. Also, a lot of talk about him attending a business dinner with hundreds of uh, business executives um, on the sidelines of the summit as well. What do you make of this, Brock? Is this something, first of all, that could have an impact on markets? Well, look, I think the meeting will be uh, properly photogenic. Biden wants to look potent with regard to China. She wants to look respected with regard to the U.S. And, and I think they'll both achieve those goals. But unfortunately, I don't see much else coming from the meeting. Um, I think ultimately it's likely to change little and, and matter about the same. Now, a few interesting points to note. Um, Joe Biden is no longer capable of detailed personal to personal, person to person negotiation. His staff has to handle all of that for him, which means that any major advances would almost certainly be known by now. So I don't really expect anything for, for that reason alone. Um, China is looking for a, a bump to its economy. It, that's why it wants to meet with business leaders to reassure folks it will likely demand from the U.S a relaxation of trade and tech restrictions. Now, my guess is that Biden may not agree to relaxation, but he may give future reassurance. Um, And finally, I'd say, look, let's keep in mind that many in the U.S. now think that Biden looks to have illegally sold influence to China as VP. If that's the case, does it, it impact Biden's softer approach to China? I think that may be an issue. We just don't know yet. I mean, President Xi clearly wants to calm foreign investors, doesn't he? And because he's right. struggling with uh, with the outflows, FDI is at a record low um, at the moment, and and you know foreigners have been selling the markets as as if there's no tomorrow. So, what can he do to to change that perception of investment in China? Well, it's not really a matter of what he can do; it's what he's he's willing to do. Um, and, and the answer is that there's a bit of a mismatch between what would be required and what he would like to be able to, how he would like to be able to solve the situation. Um, 
look, China's underperforming right now. It's not imploding. It's not otherwise dying, but it is. But it is underperforming. But it's also a very insulated economy. It 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 so. It's insulated from outside pressures to a large degree, but it also has excess domestic capacity. And domestic demand is not going to absorb that overcapacity. That means we are likely to see longer term, albeit probably mild, deflationary pressures. Combine that with the new era of lower growth, and you have what is a less attractive market for foreign investment. On top of which, you have all of these other risks, risks of major problems uh, lurking in the Chinese economy, mostly dealing with solvency, real estate, LGFB, and local government finance, and so on. Um, And then there's also this investability issue. So if, you know, in prior times, China could talk up the markets, and a visit like the one she is planning would have had a significant impact. But I don't think that's the case anymore. And if China really wants foreign trade and capital, it's going to have to make some systemic adjustments. And I'm not quite sure we're at that place just yet. This excess capacity, if it can't be absorbed by domestic uh, consumers, uh, by the domestic economy, presumably China's going to want to export that overseas. But I, I also presume that the US, the EU are not in any mood to see their trade deficits with China increase any further. That's right. Look, China would love to fill excess capacity with exports, but export demand is actually weak and declining. It's weak and declining. It's declining from a demand perspective, but there's also um, a deficit of political will to accept a huge upswing in Chinese exports. So I don't think that exports are going to save the day. Um, It's something that China is going to have to work its way out of probably over a longer term. But that means longer term, milder deflationary pressures are are, are likely with us for a while. And will that deflation get exported abroad? It could. China would like to do that. Look, the the export plan to deal with overcapacity is is a way to export uh, deflationary pressures as as well. so I don't think anyone will be pleased with this. I, it, 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 it's an issue and one that we're not likely to find a quick way out of. Mm. And you mentioned these uh, these uh, technology curbs, these tariffs that um, President Xi would like to see removed, but uh, you don't think is going to happen. But there might be some longer term uh, commitment to maybe not putting any more on or looking at them in the future. Do you think that will be enough um, to, to boost investors' confidence? No. Um, look, I, I do think that if if the U.S. were to just relax all of their uh, all of their trade and tech restrictions, it would provide a boost to the economy that would make China more interesting. But that's also, I think, an unlikely scenario. Um, I doubt that Biden will be extremely tough on China. So I, I do think there may be some mutual reassurances about how we won't let this get out of control as we move forward. Um but I don't really see a, a great likelihood of anything coming out of it that will make investors like myself uh, salivate. Mm. So we know that then President Xi, he wants to lure investors back. He wants to end these trade tariff, tariffs, technology curbs, none of which you say are likely to happen. What does Biden want out of this? What, what What's he hoping for? Uh, you know, I, I'm not entirely sure. Look, the U.S. would like to restart a more normalized relationship. I'm sure there are geopolitical issues where the U.S. would like uh, greater Chinese assistance. But I'm not sure any of that is either likely or meaningful. I mean, look, if we restart military to military communications, I suppose that's great. But from my kind of markets investment perspective, it's not that impactful. Mm. And uh, presumably, even if they do talk more, there doesn't seem to be any particular outcome that that they want from these talks. There doesn't seem to be any particular policy agenda other than we're going to talk more. We'll send Janet Yellen over to China to talk more. But no no particular goals from those talks, from what I can see. That's right. And if there were something big in the works, again, I believe because of the way the Biden administration works, we would already know about. 
And mm. um, what do you make then of the data that we saw um, last week on the inflation front? Um, consumer prices down more than expected, 0.2% uh, year on year after a flat reading in September. So slipping back into deflation, although this isn't the type of insidious deflation that we've seen in the past in other countries like in Japan, is it? It's more a, a sort of a, a disinflation. That, that's right. Again, look, China is, you know, people have a tendency to uh, to become overenthusiastic on the upside or the downside. China is not imploding. It, 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 you know, it does have some underperformance going on. And that's what we're seeing. Um, to think that we've so, sort of gotten beyond China's um, disinflation problem or that China is now back to growth. I mean, that's that's kind of a pipe dream. We can't look backwards to that prior era where China's growth was was really, you know, raging. That that's just gone. It's not coming back. Um, without kind of crazy real estate development, LGFV funded infrastructure plans, or growing exports, where would all of that growth come from? Um, so we're in a new era of lower growth, and China will be facing some disinflationary pressures. I think for a while. And for the record, I'd say, look, 5% this year just seems like statistical hocus-pocus to me. So, you know, on this basis, I, I think China's dream of overtaking the U.S. economy by the end of the decade and doubling uh, per capita income that, that President Xi wanted, it, it's not going to happen, is it? Not with this type of um, growth. Does that, uh, th- does that damage him in any way, put him under any pressure? Um, I'm, I'm sure it does. Look, any politician's job is much easier when the economy is roaring and, and growth is tremendous. Um, and that had been the case, and it's no longer the case, and that it probably takes a bit of effort to get one's arms around that new reality. Mm-hmm. And this is bad for exporters to China as well, isn't it? Because they're facing now not only um, uh, weak demand on the mainland, but now they've got falling prices as well. And, and it's already very competitive in some sectors like the EV sector where local manufacturers are just slashing prices. It's going to make it very hard, isn't it, for exporters now to, to, to do well in China? Hard from an economic standpoint, but the geopolitical environment is also increasingly difficult. Mm. So it's doubly hard. Mm. And, and by that, you mean, you know, the pressures that's coming, investigations on overseas companies, executives uh, sort of being arrested and disappearing. Yes. And, you know, look, also, if if we're correct and the U.S. does not relax trade and tech restrictions to any great degree, well, look, China doesn't just, you know, blandly accept that. It, mm. it generally is. They generally respond with their own which just makes it tougher for another class of uh, would-be exporters to get into uh, a nice China market position. And what do you make of the, uh, the, the Chinese markets, both in Hong Kong and on the, on the mainland, where the Hong Kong stocks fell the most in three weeks on Friday? For the year, the Hang Seng's down 13% now, the worst out of all the major global indices. The Shanghai Composite um, is down about 2% year-to-date. Really, um, nothing seems to be able to get these markets out of this slump, does it? Uh, unfortunately, that's correct. Look, the near-term outlook for Hong Kong isn't great. Um, you know, the government's projected growth was just lowered from 4 to 5% to 3.2%, mm-hmm. um, which is not a good sign. Now, the real drag, of course, is China, to which Hong Kong is now fully tethered. Um, it is, you know, one, one country, one economy, one country, one system at this point. Um, while China continues to search for answers until some of the larger China issues get to a better place or at least a more stable place, it's unreasonable to expect too much from Hong Kong in terms of market performance. So the Hang Seng may be the world's worst performing market this year, but unfortunately, I'm not bullish on next year either. (laughs) So as well as it being one country, one economy, is it also one country, one financial system now? Increasingly so. And, and, And look, from a Chinese perspective, that makes sense. Mm. I, I've been I, I I've, I've discussed this with you many times from a Chinese perspective to keep Hong Kong as a separate economy um, under the thumb of the U.S. Fed must be an irritant. Mm. Mm. So what's um 
Going forward, then, if we look at um, some of the things that are upsetting the market, the, the latest thing seems to be what's happening with Ping An Insurance being asked to take over um, uh, Country Garden, um, which, uh, which right. they deny, of course. But th- this raises a whole new set of problems and worries, doesn't it, about strong companies being sort of forced into taking over weak companies. Which, you know, may forestall the immediate problem, but... It- I fail to see how it makes the strong company any stronger. Mm. Um, so, look, what you what we would never see is um, is ping on with an outright rejection. Yes, we were asked to do this. No, I refuse to do that. Mm. That's extremely unlikely to happen. It's so that's how we should understand it. When there are rumors, ping on has been invited to do this, and ping on denies the invitation took place. <laughs> that's a much easier way of saying. We have declined your invitation, sir. Mm. But uh, it, it, you can't uh, turn down Beijing, can you? So if they want Ping An to do this, they're going to have to find a way to do it. Ultimately, they can't. If Beijing were to make a strong decision that, yes, you should do this, I believe the Ping An executives would have a change of heart. However, you know, Ping An is itself a, an important and uh, a large, important and successful company. Um, and I'm sure that if their management has strong feelings on this being deleterious to the fortunes of Ping An, people would listen to that. Mm. You, you, you sort of like, though, um, if this was left to the markets, it would be almost inconceivable, wouldn't it, that, uh, that an insurance company would look to take over a property company? Well, not just a property company, but a property company that may be little more than a pile of unmet liabilities. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, this is going to be an interesting so if, development. If that deal were happening in the U.S., uh, people would be screaming in disbelief. Yep, yep. Okay, well, we'll look, we'll follow this with interest. Uh, another interesting development in the mainland markets. Brock, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. That's Brock Silvers, who is Chief Investment Officer at Kion Capital. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. And thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more details about some of the topics I've been talking about today, along with information on other headlines and market moves in my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back with another show tomorrow. Joining me then will be Asian fund management industry consultant Stuart Aldcroft, David Roche, president and global strategist at Independent Strategy, and our US economics correspondent, writer and broadcaster, Barry Wood. See you tomorrow. Money Talk.